What's up, Bike Rumor fans? Welcome back for part two of our three-part series on helmet design. In part one, I interviewed Callie's founder about materials and construction, along with his somewhat controversial views on popular rotational impact systems. There's no need to listen to these in order, but it's definitely worth adding to your playlist. For part two, I interviewed Christopher Smith, who's been with Laser Helmets for a long, long time as their marketing coordinator and US rep. I wanted to get that brand's perspective on retention systems because they offer a few truly unique designs and mechanisms for everything from kids to adult helmets. This led into a discussion of proper fit and why some helmets, even from the same brand, will fit very differently from model to model. Please welcome Chris Smith. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Thanks, Tyler. Happy to be on the show. Yeah, so real quick, tell people, what is your role with laser helmets? My role is I'm basically responsible for laser marketing for Shimano North America. In case uh, anybody is not aware, laser was acquired by Shimano in 2016. Prior to that, I worked directly for uh, the laser office in Belgium. But since uh, fall of 2016, I've been an employee of Shimano America and I work exclusively uh, in marketing for the laser brand. Right on. So does that mean you don't get to go to Belgium as much anymore? Well, um, interestingly enough, prior to the pandemic, I was over in Belgium uh, a couple of times a year for product introductions, review new products coming for the next uh, model year. They typically have uh, distributor meetings uh, once or twice a year to show those distributors what is uh, coming down the uh, pipeline for the uh, for the next model year. So uh, we've had to shift uh, to having those meetings exclusively online for the last year and a half. But they're already talking about getting together next spring uh, to start talking about model year 23. So one thing interesting about this business is we're always working on the next model year or the next two model years. So we're already discussing 2023 products. All right on. Well, so what I wanted to talk to with you about helmets in particular is the design and kind of the retention systems. And the reason why I wanted to talk to you about that is because most helmets use a typical dial at the back. There are a few variations, but laser is one of the few that has a really different system on a lot of their helmets called Rolsys, which puts the little dial on the top of the helmet and kind of it feels like it pulls differently. And then I wanted to talk to you about like design and fit as well, because I'll get into this in a minute. But basically, Laser's got some helmets that fit me really well and some that just absolutely don't. And so I think there's a lot of stuff out there, especially if people are buying a helmet online. There's really no way of trying it on, which is why you should probably buy your helmets from a bike shop, because even if you love Laser and you've got a couple of Laser helmets you really, really like or any other brand, that doesn't mean the next Laser helmet is going to fit you the same. So Actually, let's just start with that. Like, why do some of your helmets fit so well for some people and some just don't? Uh, well, uh, it, it depends upon which model helmet you're uh, referring to. But the, the reason that there might be a discrepancy between the way different models of laser helmets fit is because of the internal shape of the helmet. Uh, we use a couple of different internal shape molds depending upon the model. Most of our high-end helmets use what's called an oval fit. And that is, uh, as it sounds, it's shaped like an oval. And we found that for the majority of consumers in North America, that oval shape typically fits the best. But some of our other helmets, uh, typically uh, price point helmets or high volume production helmets, 
use uh, an all fit, which is more like a like a circular fit. And just because of the different shape of the interior of the helmet, it's going to fit consumers uh, slightly differently. It does work fine for most consumers, but uh, some will find that there is a, a difference in the way the helmet feels on the head comparing a all-fit helmet versus an oval-fit helmet. So what's the theory behind that? Like, why would a higher-end helmet have a different shape than others? Well, again, it depends upon the market where the helmet is going to be sold. We have the ability to build a helmet specifically for the market that it's going to be sold into. And most of the time, we're talking about the certification of the helmet. Uh, For those that are not aware, there's three different safety certifications that a helmet can be manufactured to, depending upon uh, the market that that helmet is going to be sold into. So, for example, Australia and New Zealand have their own certification standard. The Europeans use the CE certification standard. But in North America, helmets are uh, manufactured to meet the CPSC, or the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, safety standard. In addition to building a helmet to meet a specific safety standard, we can also build a helmet with a different interior shape. So in the case of the high-end helmets, depending upon the market where it's being delivered, we can build a helmet that has that different interior shape. So a a high-end helmet can be sold in lower volumes uh, just because they're usually quite expensive. We will uh, build the interior of the shape of the helmet how it might best fit your your average consumer in that market. But when you're talking about lower-priced helmets or or mid-priced helmets that are sold in much higher volumes uh, worldwide, we'll use an interior shape that fits the average consumer globally, and we'll also manufacture that helmet so that it meets multiple certification standards, so that the same helmet might meet all three certification standards, and that prevents us from having to to manufacture different production runs of helmets to go into different markets, streamline production and and lower manufacturing costs, and and to be able to pass those manufacturing savings uh, onto the consumer and then ultimately yield a lower price helmet. So that's the upside. The downside is when you make one helmet to meet all certification standards globally, or you're manufacturing a helmet to fit all head shapes globally, it can ultimately yield a slightly heavier weight helmet, and it also increases the chance that uh, there are uh, more consumers that potentially have a fit issue with that helmet as compared to to helmets uh, that are made specifically for average head head shapes or uh, a specific uh, safety certification standard. Yeah. So what's the difference? Like, I I mean, do Australians and New Zealanders have a very different head shape than Europeans versus Americans? No, I think when you're talking about Western uh, shaped head versus uh, head shapes in other parts of the globe. uh, Jeez, how do I want to say this? Well, Uh, Yeah, like, let's just so there is a brand of helmet that's not laser that makes a quote unquote Asian fit. I don't know if that's the exact way to say it. But, you know, like there are certainly some cultures that have different shaped heads than us, you know, Europeans. So, yeah, like, are so you mentioned those three different safety 
testing standards, you know, but maybe that's not what you were referring to in terms of different markets. So like does laser make a different helmet for like, say, the Asian market versus, you know, like Scandinavian market versus the U.S. market? Yeah. Yeah, we do. And we leave it up to to, to the uh, distributors within that market to tell to tell and when when I say we, you know, I'm I'm kind of uh, uh, referring to uh, Laser Belgium and and their manufacturing facility. The distributor that's ordering the product makes the determination as to what the interior shape of the helmet is going to be when they place their order. Uh, obviously, if they're ordering within a specific region of the globe, they want the helmet to be certified for their region. So that that's kind of assumed that an Australian distributor is going to be ordering helmets with the Australian certification standard. But if they have a large enough market within their territory that might, depending upon the price point of that product, that might be interested in a different interior shape, uh, and they can meet the minimum order requirements for that particular product, Laser has the capacity to manufacture helmets to deliver with those uh, specific interior shapes. Cool. When you're talking about production times and minimum order quantities and the size of the uh, the market that you're selling into and the demographics of that market, you need to assure that when you you start changing how the helmet is going to fit, that you've got a market of the size that is going to support the number of units that you have to bring in to justify that production run. But uh, Laser uh, absolutely has the ability and, and does manufacture helmets for specific fits within within certain markets. Cool. What is that minimum order? I'm kind of curious. Typically, it's 400 units per size per color. Wow. That's a lot of helmets. That's actually more than I thought. I mean, I knew it had to have been decent size. But so regarding fit, you know, this is the issue that I have. And it's not just with laser helmets. It's, you know, I have this issue with multiple different helmets from different brands. And I think a lot of people do, too, that if I put the helmet on, I get the straps adjusted where I think they should be and they're comfortable. But, you know tight enough, just the retention, all that. If I push sort of like back and up on the front of the helmet, there are some helmets that I can literally almost push off the back of my head. And even with everything adjusted perfectly. And then there's others that they don't, right? And so for me, I feel like even though that might be comfortable otherwise, if I were to actually like face plant into something, the chances of that helmet just getting pushed out of the way and then full on real face plant is pretty high. And that that seems to be like the only real legitimate fit issue I have with some helmets. I mean, some, you know, like maybe they have like a little bit more side to side play, but it's usually not terrible. But is there like, is there a name for that kind of like movement or something? Or um, have you seen that? Well, there is, depending upon the certification test, the uh, requirements to pass that test are, are slightly different. Part of the testing standard is how well the helmet stays on the rider's head when uh, a certain amount of energy or a certain amount of force is put into the helmet from any particular direction. And, you know, the helmet obviously passes the certification test in order to sell into the market. But when you start talking about a level of energy going into the helmet that might exceed or even slightly exceed what's tested, that amount of energy could be enough to push the helmet on the rider's head in, in such a, a direction that does leave some of the head exposed to, uh, to potential injury. So it, it's difficult because, uh, and, it, and it's really a failing of the certification test, to be honest with you, because they kind of just have generic uh, numbers assigned to uh, uh, these tests and, and how much 
energy that the helmet needs to absorb in order to pass the test. But everybody's head shape is different. Some head shapes fit into helmets better than others. Manufacturers use different strap systems, and because of the shape of the head or the length of your chin, some helmets work better for for some individuals than others. And uh, it's really important for us. You mentioned uh, earlier uh, that it's it's important for consumers to get into the retailer and try the helmet on. It's really important for us that consumers have a helmet that fits best on their head, in addition to being comfortable and and. I really encourage consumers to try a helmet on and, you know, kind of give it a test once the straps are adjusted correctly and the buckle is set in the right place and the the fit system on the helmet is tensioned correctly. Just make sure that the helmet is not going to shift around excessively when some some force is put into uh, various areas of the helmet. So should the worst case scenario happen, uh, you want to make sure that that helmet stays in place uh, to do its job correctly. All right. Is that kind of upward and backward shift where the helmet feels like it's going over my head? Is that, do you think that's primarily just due to the internal shape or because most straps are fairly similar, but, or is it just maybe like the, the forward attachment point for the straps? Maybe they're on, you know, a little further back on one helmet model or brand versus the other. It's like, is there a standard as to where those straps need to meet at the helmet for the forward position and the rear position? Or is that entirely up to the brand to determine what's going to work best? I don't believe that the certification standards dictate where the straps mount to the helmet shelf. That could be part of the certification standard, but that's not something that I've seen. Again, depending upon the different model helmet, and you'll see this between laser helmets, uh, uh, certainly other manufacturers as well. Sometimes the anchor is to the outside of the helmet, almost between the polycarbonate shell and the expanded polystyrene uh, or the EPS foam. Sometimes the anchor point is more towards the inside of the helmet, and that can change, you know, if the straps are kind of coming down away from the side of the face or if the straps are more in contact with the side of the face before they come down and and wrap around the chin. You mentioned if the anchor points are a little farther forward or a little farther back, that can affect things as well. But again, these certification standards are using a, a generic head shape. And with the, the variety of, of uh, human head shapes, uh, it's just impossible to say that one helmet is going to fit everybody the same way. And fit is obviously critical in how the helmet does its job. So, I mean, it's the same reason there's so many different shoe manufacturers out there making cycling shoes. They're using a slightly different lasts. And uh, shoes shoes fit differently. The thing about shoes, it's it's just a comfort issue. Uh, with helmets, in addition to being a comfort issue, it's a safety issue as well. Uh, and that's why, uh, like I said, we encourage consumers to get the helmet on their head. Make sure it's not only is it comfortable and easy to adjust, but also fits well in the event of an impact and the helmet stays in place to do its job. Yeah. Is there a pro or a con on that, the strap placement? Because, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Like you mentioned, some of them, they, the mounting point to the helmet is very close to it. Some of them, it's a little bit further out on the edges there, which, you know, it does when they're further out, it creates a little bit of a gap, you know, between the head and the strap, which for me, that tend to be one where, okay, in that case, I would put my sunglasses under the strap. So between the strap and my head and on most of the helmets where it's closer in, I put my sunglasses, the arms of my sunglasses over it, which is my personal preference, but I see people doing it both ways on all types of helmets. 
So first question is like, is there a pro in the, or a con on having the melting point outboard? And then follow up is, is there a safety concern with running your sunglasses like either under or over the straps? Well, I'll address the last question first. There's no difference in uh, safety uh, uh, having your your eyewear bows uh, or temple pieces uh, over the straps or under the straps. I have my own personal preference to to have them over the strap just because cosmetically I I think it, uh, <laughs> it looks better. But there are there are some helmet models from Laser and some other manufacturers where it's just really impossible to do that because if you have your straps adjusted correctly you shouldn't have an excessive amount of slack in those straps and it's just impossible to get your eyewear over the straps uh, without causing a, a deformation in the in the straps or in the eyewear itself uh, but there's really no safety um, benefit or disadvantage where the eyewear is placed in, in regards to the straps as far as safety in the way the anchor points are placed I haven't seen any data. Obviously, helmets pass the certification standards regardless of where the anchor points are. And the uh, the Virginia Tech independent organization that's been testing helmets for their ability to protect the rider from uh, rotational brain injury or concussion, they're testing helmets that use those two different anchor points. And uh, both of those designs uh, have tested uh, with five-star uh, testing results. So uh, again, certification testing and protection testing uh, has not shown that uh, one is better than the other. It's really just kind of the way that the helmet is designed. Right. Cool. You know, I'm thinking like I, I'm kind of coming up on the time that I wanted for this. So let's uh, maybe we'll save design for another because I've still got a few other safety and kind of fit questions. Sure. With, you know, like I've noticed I've got a laser helmet out in my garage. I've got two actually of the same model. One is a CE and one is a CPSC. So one's the you know, European standard, one is US standard. And across every brand I've ever seen, the CE helmets are always significantly lighter. I mean, we're talking about for like a 250 gram US helmet, the CE version might be 200 to 220 grams, which on a long ride, those tiny bit of grams really add up to a lot of neck comfort or discomfort. Why can you make a CE helmet so much lighter? And that's an easy question to answer. Fundamentally, the CE certification requires the helmet to need to absorb less energy. And the way you the, the way you can understand the test is they put the head on a head form and they just drop a certain amount of weight onto the exterior of the helmet. And they have a sensor on that head form that measures the amount of energy that comes through the helmet into the head form. The amount of energy that the head form needs to measure for the CE test is lower than the amount of energy that the head form for the, the CPSC test is required to pass. Basically, with the same amount of weight, the CPSC testing certification is, is more stringent and the helmet needs to absorb more of that energy than the CE standard. And the only way that you can build the helmet to absorb more of that energy is to build the helmet with more of the expanded polystyrene foam. And that ultimately means more material goes into the construction of the helmet and the helmet ends up being heavier. The Australia and New Zealand testing standard is the most stringent. That helmet needs to absorb uh, even more energy. 
And so the helmets uh, typically sold into the Australian New Zealand market are even heavier than the CPSC certification helmets. So again, there's two ways that you can go about this. You can either go the, the route that laser has gone, where you make the helmet to pass the certification standards specific to the market that it's going to be delivered into, which allows laser to make the lightest helmet for the CE market, the next lightest helmet for the CPSC market, and then finally, uh, ultimately, the, the, the heaviest helmet for the Australian-New Zealand standard. The other route that you can take is you can make one helmet that will pass all three tests, but that means that it obviously has to pass the most stringent testing standard and ultimately means that you're delivering potentially a heavier helmet than might be necessary to pass the certification standard in the CPSC market than the CE market. So when you say more foam, are you talking about using a denser or different foam? Or is there actually the molds are different? And you just literally have a higher volume of foam. The molds are different. Okay. The foam itself is the same. They're not using different density foams. They're just using more foam. Or the mold is slightly different so that potentially the vents are smaller or the the vents have uh, like a tooth that comes into the to the uh, the vent and and uh, uh, might uh, obstruct uh, some of the size uh, of the vent so ultimately uh, again they're, they're using the same materials uh, regardless of the market that's being delivered into but uh, like you said the the mold is different so they're using more foam more material uh, going into the helmet and that's what ultimately yields a heavier helmet Right on. All right. So let's talk retention mech real quick. You know, the roll cyst for people who aren't familiar with it, instead of having a little dial at the back on the kind of plastic thing that molds around the bottom cradle of your head, you guys have a roll, literally like a little roller dial on the top of the helmet that accomplishes the same thing. It pulls the cable, but I feel like the way you guys have shaped that, the way the cable kind of feeds through, it feels a little bit different. What was the reasoning behind using that versus just a dial on the back? Well, uh, to go into a little bit more detail, that dial on the top of the helmet, like you said, it's connected to a cable that then goes down into the helmet. That cable either connects to, or if it's a nylon cable, it will expand in size and uh, turn into a, a belt that goes from the kind of the side of the head at the ear. And that belt will go all the way around the front of the helmet, connect again on the, uh, the opposite side of the head and then reduce in size back to that cable that goes up to the uh, adjustment dial at the top of the helmet. And what that does is it creates an adjustment all the way around the circumference of the interior of the helmet uh, with this kind of belt system that that uh, it's almost like, you know, if you think about the BOA uh, system on a shoe, uh, it's a very similar concept uh, in the interior of the helmet. So what that does is when you adjust the tension of the helmet, it doesn't pull the, the front of the helmet against the rider's forehead and kind of load all of the tension of the uh, adjustment system against that one point on the rider's head. The adjustment is made progressively, again, around the entire circumference of the head, and that tension load is distributed all the way around the rider's head. The benefit of that is uh, it creates a, a very comfortable and well-fitting helmet, and it also prevents any kind of pressure points or hot spots where all of the tension for that helmet adjustment system is, is uh, directed into a very small area on the rider's head. So it's very easy to adjust, and it's very comfortable, 
And again, it creates a, a very well-fitting helmet, which means it's going to be in the right place uh, uh, should there be an impact. So that's the Rolls system. We use two other uh, retention systems uh, that actually do have that dial at the back of the head, the uh, ATS, which is uh, adjustable turn fit system, and then uh, TS Plus, which is a turn fit plus uh, system. Those are doing the same thing with that belt system all the way around the interior of the uh, of the helmet. It's just the adjustment is in that traditional spot at the back of the head. But again, it's not loading up the, the front of the helmet with all that tension. It still has that same concept, that same belt system around the circumference of the rider's head to prevent uh, those pressure points or, or hot spots. But uh, that original Rolls-Royce design came out, uh, I want to say, in 2005. And it's really kind of what made laser helmets unique at that point. So uh, all of our helmets going forward have a variation of that same adjustment system in order to prevent uh, those pressure points or, or hot spots when, uh, when adjusting the helmet. Because a helmet that doesn't fit well and is not comfortable is not going to be a helmet that the consumer uh, is going to want to wear uh, regularly on their rides. And, and uh, again, a helmet is only as good as the rider that chooses to uh, put it on for all of their rides. So we can design the safest helmet in the world, but if it's not comfortable, the rider's not going to wear it. So we want to make sure that our adjustment systems are easy to adjust and comfortable and and something that does not detract from the uh, enjoyment of the ride. All right, cool. I actually, I kind of want to give you guys a little shout out too for an, another retention mechanism you have that you didn't mention, but like some of the kids' helmets, it's kind of just an auto fit where, it's almost just a spring-loaded little yep. cradle cup, and uh, you literally just like pull that back, put the helmet on, and I, I wouldn't say like let go and let it smack the kid on the back of the head, but you let go and it just sort of like automatically adjusts to the kid's head, which I, I thought was super cool back when my kids were young enough to use that. Yeah, the nice thing about that autofit system, it's doing the same thing, uh, making that progressive adjustment, adjustment all the way around the, the child's head. Uh, but the, the the really neat thing about AutoFit is the spring that it's used uh, maintains the same tension uh, regardless of, of the size of the child's head. So there is some adjustment, some automatic adjustment. So as the child's head grows, uh, the adjustment system will account for that. But it's not putting more tension on the rider's head as the system opens up. It's going to maintain the same amount of uh, pressure regardless of the position of that auto fit so that the child is not going to find that helmet less and less comfortable or putting more tension on their head as their head size grows. There's one other thing I wanted to mention uh, that's that's unique to laser and, and for consumers that are uh, already in laser products, it's a, a really important feature that they should be aware of, and that's the adjustable head basket, which is the rear retention system on the helmet. There's actually a ratcheting system that allows the, the rear portion of the fit system to be moved horizontally up and down the back of the rider's head. And the adjustment of that is, is really just kind of personal preference where it feels most comfortable or provides the feeling of more security. In my case, I like that adjustment system, that adjustable rear basket pulled down all the way because it gives me a feeling of, of more security when I tension the helmet up. Some other users find that uncomfortable or, or distracting, or they like their helmet to, to, to feel a little bit more open. Uh, so they push that uh, all the way up. So the, the uh, adjustment system is, is uh, sitting a bit higher on the rider's head. 
As far as uh, passing certification tests or uh, safety, it really doesn't matter where that system is placed. The helmet is still going to be in the correct spot and provide all the safety benefits. But it is an additional adjustment that the rider can make uh, depending upon their personal preference in order to uh, to get that laser helmet to fit the most comfortable way for, for their particular head shape. Cool. You know, I just remembered something from laser helmets from many years ago. I say many, several. That was pretty neat to you guys. And I don't know if it's still offered. I don't think it is, but correct me if I'm wrong. And this is going to segue into me asking you about what's coming up. So be prepared to share or not share what you guys are working on. But I remember the front forehead pads, you guys offered one that had like a gel pad with a heart rate, kind of optical heart rate sensor built into the helmet that was interesting. It seemed to work, but it did add some weight. And for me, it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world, but it was unique and kind of curious, like what happened to that? Yeah, it uh, it worked really well. And uh, that technology was actually developed by the military and uh Fighter pilots still have that technology built into their helmets. It's a uh, an optical sensor, uh, not unlike the heart rate monitors that uh, people are wearing on their, their wrists or integrated into their watches. But it was an optical sensor that sat on your forehead and uh, was able to measure your heart rate and then uh, send that signal either by Bluetooth or AMP plus signal to uh, whatever receiving device you wanted to use. So it worked really well. Uh, it picked up the heart rate actually faster than a traditional chest strap, and uh, and it was more accurate than a, than a traditional chest strap. I think the issue with that was it added a significant price to the helmet because of the battery pack that sat on the helmet. It also added a certain amount of weight to the helmet, and it just wasn't something the consumers uh, regrettably were were interested in in paying for either in uh, price or in the uh, the extra weight that was uh, involved uh, in having that on the helmet. The first generation was uh, significantly heavier. The, the second generation had a much smaller uh, battery pack transmitter, but uh, still wasn't uh, just wasn't something that was accepted uh, in the marketplace, uh, unfortunately. And then the other issue you mentioned is because of the, the gel pad, there were some uh, comfort issues. Traditional foam pad does a better job of uh, distributing the uh, the pressure of the helmet on the rider's forehead, whereas that gel pad seemed to concentrate more pressure in particular areas of the forehead of the rider. We had a, another pad called the Aqua Pad, which was a, a gel-based pad and, and uh, did a really great job deflecting sweat from the rider's eyes and, and uh, helped keep uh, the eyewear clean and free of, of sweat. But again, after about an hour, hour and a half of riding, there were some uh, discomfort issues involved in that pad. So uh, it was discontinued within a couple of years after after coming to market. But I can tell you that uh, uh, Laser certainly not giving up on integrating additional technology into their helmets. One thing you're seeing more of in the last couple of years is more integrated LED light options available in, in laser. Just about every helmet model available for this year has some kind of integrated LED light option of some kind. And that's just going to continue uh, in product uh, going forward. That uh, I'm trying to think of the new models that we have coming uh, in the future. I, I believe every one of those has some kind of integrated light option uh, in order to increase uh, visibility from the rear in, in low light conditions. 
But honestly, I ride with a uh, LED light on my uh, helmet, regardless of what time of day I'm riding, because it, it only makes sense to me that any uh, anything you can do to improve visibility when you're out riding on the road uh, is of value. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What's the crystal ball? What can you tell us about what's coming up? Since clearly you have some intel on what's coming for 2022 and soon 2023. Well, I can't go into a lot of details, but I can tell you that uh, um, Lasers had a tremendous amount of success with testing results from Virginia Tech. Uh, I mentioned that earlier. Their uh, concussion uh, protection, rotational brain injury protection. Right now, Laser has more four and five star rated helmets uh, than any other manufacturer. I can tell you that's going to continue for model year 22. Uh, we're going to have more models that that come with those uh, five-star ratings next year. The only other thing I can say about next year's products are uh, lighter weight, better ventilation, just kind of general overall uh, improvements on uh, existing products uh, for next year and uh, into the future. Is EPS foam just kind of where it's at, or are you exploring new materials? Like, should we be looking for any material advances? Like, how do you keep getting lighter while still passing the required safety tests? From what I've seen, I mean, you, you've seen other manufacturers use other materials other than EPS foam. It seems that those other materials actually add more weight to the helmet in order to provide the same protection benefit either from the uh, the certification standard that's required to sell the helmet in the market or to to get good results from the Virginia Tech testing. So while other materials are, are certainly viable and do the job to provide that protection, again, we've seen that it can add weight to the helmet, affect the ventilation of the helmet because the vents are, are blocked with these uh, additional materials that are that are being used. So I haven't seen anything that does a better job than the EPS foam. What I have seen is, again, without being able to go into a ton of detail, just a different manufacturing process in how that EPS foam is used in order to provide the same level of protection while also trying to reduce the overall weight of the helmets or improve ventilation. Awesome. All right, well, Chris, thanks so much for the intel on lasers design and retention and stuff and just, you know, retention in general. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to uh, happy to be on with you, uh, Tyler. Hopefully we can get together again and talk about some other uh, helmet features and issues. Yeah, well, you know, I'm still waiting for that press invite to Belgium for uh, product launch. I'm using air quotes and drinking some good Belgian beer, so. We're working on it. It would be great to have you over there. Uh, hopefully we can put together uh, something uh, in this coming spring, but uh, uh, we'll keep you updated on that. It would be great to have you over there. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for listening to part two of our series on bicycle helmet designs. If you haven't already, hit subscribe to the Bike Runner podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss the next installments. And check out the catalog of interviews we've already published. There's a ton of great stuff in there that's a bit of the break from our normal tech-heavy, product-focused coverage on the website. And if you like this, could you tap that button on your app to give us a quick five-star rating and a quick review? That is the currency of podcasts, and it really helps us reach more people and grow this thing more and more to get great guests for you. Thanks, and until next time, keep the rubber side down.